0: Well, during the week, I had a very interesting conversation with some members of this church about universal Christian salvation. Uh, This uh, is the view uh, that passages such as 1 Timothy 2, uh, 3 to 4 mean what they say, uh, that God, our Saviour, wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Uh, And passages like 1 Corinthians 1528 that uh, at the end all will be all in all that sorry that God will be all in all Uh, that no part of his creation will be outside his divine care. Uh, This view holds that God has the power to do anything that he wills and if he wills that all shall be saved then all that is everyone will be saved not just those who come to faith in their lifetime, but everyone. Uh, It's obviously different from the view that we usually hear that some will be saved for eternal life with God and others will face eternity in hell, Uh, whether that's a physical place or uh, the torment of separation from God. Uh, It's not my plan today to lay out the case for universal Christian salvation, uh, as it's not something that we find in the passage today. But it will focus our attention on why we should do what the Apostle Paul says here, why we should seek to follow Jesus and his ways. Um, Universal Christian salvation is a view that goes right back to the early church, uh, for some, it makes a lot of sense. It means that God did not create some people to be eternally separated from Him, and that sin does not win anyone. Uh, uh, the, the, the sin does not win anyone at the end of the day. It means that God will be all in all. At this stage, you may be thinking about the references in the Bible to eternal hell. Uh, the Greek word we translators eternal actually means of the next age or of the next aeon. Uh, our translators perhaps over translate this as eternal or forever. Uh, so, going with the Greek meaning, in the next age, some people will experience hell, but not forever. Everyone even beyond death, will get as many chances to turn to Christ as they need, and because Jesus Christ is so wonderfully irresistible, in the end no one will resist him. Uh, The only rational choice is God, and ultimately we will all choose to be with God. Uh, Universal Christian salvation does not do away with hell and judgment and the effect of the cross and sharing the good news of Jesus and all the other familiar ideas, but it does see God as the ultimate victor of everything and the glorious end of all. And you may wonder why I mention this, if it's not an issue in our reading today from the book of Ephesians. Well, one of the objections to the idea of universal Christian salvation is... Why bother trying to live a Christian life? If there isn't eternal hell and everyone ends up with God, why bother living well now? Why come to church? Why pay any attention to God? Why not be as selfish and as sinful as you like? Because it will all pan out okay in the end. Well, there are a number of ways to respond to that, and at least three are found in our passage today. Three explanations of why we should follow Jesus, even if our hell is not forever. Uh, in the first half of the letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul set out who Christ is and, and what he has done for us. Uh, in the second half, he sets out some of the implications of, of that, and in particular, how we are to live well as people saved and made holy by Jesus. Last week we saw Paul talking about being humble, patient and loving as ways to build and enjoy the unity we have in Christ. This focus on living out the consequences of God saving us in Jesus continues this week. Everything Paul says in our passage today feeds into his quest for the first hearers of this letter and us to understand what Jesus has saved us for and therefore how he wants us to live in his creation. Uh, I won't drill down into everything Paul says as he expands on them in the following passage that Alex uh, will explore with us in two weeks. Next week we'll be hearing from Uncle Ray. But we will see that the things Paul talks about today are worth doing for at least three reasons. And they're worth doing now, well before we meet our maker, go to join the choir, invisible, start pushing up daisies. Uh, And they are, first, it is a way of honouring the God who has made us, loves us and wants to enjoy us forever. If we believe in God, then we will want to honour him and he shows us the ways to do that. Uh, And the second is that it fits with who we are uh, and what we are made for. If you remember Jesus's image of his yoke that is easy and his burden light, the reason that the yoke of Jesus' teaching fits us is that he made us and knows us better than we know ourselves. When we wear the yoke we do when we when wear the yoke he has made for us, we do not rub and chase chafe against a yoke we have made for ourselves. We do not get bloody and sore from wearing a yoke of sin that does not fit us. We live and work and have fun and love in ways that fit and are good for us. And third, It's the best way to care for the rest of his creation, including the people around us. I can be selfish, but whether or not that works for me, it does not work out for the people who suffer or miss out because I am selfish. If I exploit you or steal from you or abuse you, that might not be so good for you. And God, as the creator of all, is interested not only in what is good for me, but also in the good I can do for you. So there are three reasons. And none of them turns on my desire to avoid eternal hell. Or even judgment in some shorter time in hell. Uh, Paul starts by saying... Uh, his readers should not live as they used to and as the Gentiles, the non-Jews, do. Uh, Paul describes those ways as them giving themselves over to sensuality uh, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and greed. Uh, I'll leave the subject of sexual immorality to Alex to discuss in a couple of weeks, uh, such as the prerogative of the senior minister... Paul says his readers are darkened in their understanding and separated from life and have lost their sensitivity. Uh, We may have experienced that ourselves or have seen it in others. Uh, People feel trapped by the way they live and the patterns of their daily lives. They may not consider themselves addicted to alcohol or drugs or gambling or unsatisfying sexual relations, but those things don't make them as happy as they think they should. These people go along with what others do because it is easier than striking out on their own uh, or working out a better way. They do things that take away the immediate pain. They choose a, a desensitized life, drinking to get drunk, binging on Netflix because I'm bored and what else is there to do? And Paul offers a genuine alternative. You'll need to come back over the next few weeks to hear it in full, but it is a life that does not exclude the genuine pleasure that comes from the physical things of this world. A good food, a beer with a friend, a a glass of wine at the end of the day, fun with friends, a good holiday. Uh, but whatever physical pleasures we choose, we feel good afterwards. We have not done anything that makes us think less of ourselves or where we have used other people. Now, Paul is speaking against the corruption of good things. God has, you know, The good things that, that God has given us. Uh, I said when speaking about unity that it all starts in our hearts. Humility, patience and love start inside us. And that is what Paul is talking about here. Uh, In verse 23 he talks about the attitude of our minds and putting on a new self where we love, where we seek to do good because of the good that Jesus has done for us. And this can take many forms. But the one that most often comes to mind, for me, is thinking outside ourselves. Perhaps thinking about how to help make someone's life better, to to make that phone call, to pay that visit. Uh, I know people who feel so trapped and disengaged, they only ever talk about the problems they face. And I think that's very sad. They rarely share any good news, even if something good has happened with them. They don't try to bring joy into anyone else's day. Uh, Part of the marriage preparation course encourages people to remember what they like about their partner and to appreciate them for even the day-to-day things we must do. Uh, to remember fondly shared disasters in the past, cars breaking down, meals that failed, forgetting to book the hotel, because actually those are the things that actually draw us together. Uh, And it's the little things that are so important in life, if we notice them and appreciate them. And and, and also to share the good things that happened. You know, you get home from work, and, and rather than grumble, you say, my boss was actually nice to me today. Bit of a change, but he was. Isn't that good? Or he was teeming with rain, and I found a car parking space. You know, I'm talking about the little things. Which, you know, which lift us and can lift others. And you may think that this does not have much to do with being created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. But I think it does. What, what good can I do today? What good will God help me do today? How can I lift others? Most of us like people who lift our spirits. I love Leone. She has battled schizophrenia for 40 years and that's no secret. She tells me her thoughts are often confused. But she lifts me every time I see her. When I drive up St John's Road and I see her sitting on uh, on the bench out there, ready to come in for morning prayer or to church my heart leaps. I know that she will share a positive word with me. And why? Because she lives each day in humble dependence on God and she she knows his goodness and is not afraid to share it. So thank you, Leonie. Then Paul says... verse 25 therefore each of you must not put therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbors for we are all members of one body in your anger do not sin do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Um, Paul talks about it elsewhere as paying, paying our way. You may ask what telling the truth, managing anger and not stealing have got to do with each other. He just throws them together. All these things flow out of what Jesus has done for us and the way he lived and the way he wants us to live. Jesus tells us he is the way, the life, and the truth. He, he only ever speaks truth. Jesus got angry, overturning the tables of the money changers and traders in the temple, and saying to Peter, as Peter genuinely struggles with the idea that Jesus may be killed, get behind me, Satan. I think that they're reasonably angry words. But Jesus' anger was not self-indulgent, and it did not get in the way of the good purposes that he was doing. Whereas I think my anger can be selfish and self-indulgent. Anger because public transport has let me down again. Anger because I don't foresee something or something did not go my way. Most often anger at myself for not doing things as well as I think I should. Paul is not saying that we can't get angry, but that in our anger, we must not sin. We must not do it for selfish purposes or in ways that hurt other people. Paul then quotes a proverb, and not actually one in the Bible, but it's no doubt proverbial. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Uh, And it's wise advice. But if you look at the book of Proverbs, you will see that a proverb is only uh, general advice. It is not applicable in all circumstances and needs wisdom to apply well. We need to look beyond Paul's purpose in quoting this proverb. He wants anger to not continue and to not let the devil get a foothold and for either good to come out of the anger or for the anger to do no harm. And sometimes a quick, sincere apology is the best way to deal with an angry outburst. I'm really sorry I said that. But sometimes a good night's sleep helps. Sleep enables our brains to reorder things. Problems that seem insurmountable the night before suddenly seem non-existent or or manageable. We calm down and can think more clearly and an apology in the morning can also work well. I'm not saying we should always put off or avoid disagreements and never deal with underlying problems, but sometimes in an attempt to deal with the issue that causes anger, going over and over it again and digging a deeper and deeper hole is not the best way to deal with things that give rise to anger. Uh, And and, and sometimes an apology is really quite just a way of covering over or uh, uh, avoiding dealing with the underlying issues. So I wouldn't treat this uh, proverb as a hard and fast rule, but advice to deal with our anger and the underlying problems in the best way and in in a timely way. Paul then commends not stealing to which we could add cheating on tax or in business or when dealing with a deceased estate. Boy, deceased estates bring out the worst in people. Uh, And the reasons are clear. Stealing and cheating hurt others, but they also hurt ourselves. We end up living a lie. We get something we know we don't deserve. I haven't got much experience of bank robbers, but I have worked with people who have got rich, sometimes very rich, by tax evasion or sharp business practices. And they don't seem happy to me. They have to live a lie each day. And I guess it may get easy for them over time as they become desensitized to their criminality and selfishness. <laughs> After all, I deserve it. I'm so good. or. Well, everyone does it. Why wouldn't you do it? Everyone does it. But it does not bring any peace of mind. And it doesn't bring the peace of mind that comes from honest work. So not stealing and cheating are good for us as well as for others. And they honour Jesus, our Lord. So all three of those reasons that I gave at the beginning are bound up. Uh, in these practical ways to live well. A theme that has underlaid all of this is building up other people. Uh, And that becomes plain in the last section for us today. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Uh, In the next chapter, Paul condemns obscene, foolish talk or coarse joking, And and again, I'll leave that for Alex, but... I I don't think that's going to be as hard. But anyway... (laughs) I have great confidence in her. Uh, But I will say that I don't think that this... uh, condemning of obscene, foolish language... uh, that we should be too precious or legalistic about this. Uh, I do not encourage the use of expletives and I try to control my own tongue. Uh, I get tired very quickly with people who fill each sentence with expletives. I've often wanted to to, to record some people I overhear in the street or in the pub or at the football and play themselves back to them and ask them if they really are aware of how much they swear. Hardly a sentence goes by without an expletive and just how stupid and tedious it sounds. I mean, it just debases the whole uh, nature of uh, of language. But sometimes I get people in here who have really had an awful time. And the only way that they can explain their circumstances and, and how they feel is with expletives. And they keep on saying, oh, sorry, pastor, or sorry, father, as if their language will shock or offend me. It won't. I'm only sorry that they are in such a state. My sympathy is with them, and I understand why they use strong language. Paul's focus is not on an expletive that is uttered in pain or extreme frustration, but on language that reflects bitterness rage, anger, brawling and slander, along with every other form of malice. Bad language that reflects a sickness within or is used as a weapon of hate or language that diminishes us in the eyes of people we should value. Our Bible version concludes this chapter with these words. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you, I'm not sure. If sorry, just it's just stopped working. Could you just no? I oh, no, uh, leave it there. Leave it there. No, leave leave it there. Yeah, sorry, it's just not working. Um, but uh, the paragraphing really doesn't do this passage justice because chapter 5 starts with follow God's example therefore as dearly loved children and and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God and and really that's a good way uh, of rounding out the teaching uh, that he has been given in the whole of chapter 4. Uh, But as we've walked through these ways of living uh, well uh, that Paul insists on for believers, it's not hard to see how they fit with the three reasons that I gave at the start when saying that one reason was not to avoid eternal hell. We should live like this now to honour Jesus and, and what he has enabled for us and to live as we were made to live, to to love and care for others, and for the good that we can do for others. None requires a fear of eternal hell or the need to earn brownie points with God. It's just living out how God has made us and how he has saved us. All will honour God, fit with how God has made us and made this world a better place. Uh, It's not my place to insist upon them, but I do commend them to you. Shall we pray? Our dear Father God, you have made us to be like you. Please help us to be like you in the ways that Paul has explained to us today. And to be like you in all we do and all we think and all we say, for your glory and for the good of us and each other. Amen. Well, now be a good time to stand and join in our next hymn, Come Down, O Love Divine.